Georgia Bird spent her life. Morning, Miss Bird. Mr. Williams. Dreaming of possibilities. I suggest you get with the program, Miss Bird. Yeah. Until the day. I was wondering sometime if you're free. I'll get it. Fate. This can't be right. Changed everything. I got three weeks to live? I feel great. I just finished a fat flush. Remember you said life was too short to live the way I do? You see, Mr. Damien. Excuse me, would you mind? Yeah. I quit. I'm sure a disciplined woman such as yourself has a very useful purpose for this money. I'm just gonna blow it. <laughs> Welcome to Grand Hotel Poop. You don't really say it like that? Poop. Poop. I know that you'll find our presidential suite most comfortable. Did I just give you a ridiculously large tip? Yes. Bye. Oh, are you all right, Madame Bill? Yeah. I just love these sheets. I was just taking them for a little ride around the block. Yeah. Make me international. I've seen Georgia around for a couple of days. Have you seen her? Give my money. Hello, sister. Who is she? Mademoiselle Bird. Very rich. Ooh, look at that. Will he have the same specials tomorrow night? No. I guess I better try them all tonight then. Toot? Oh, no, 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 no. Toot, baby. Toot, sweet. From Paramount Pictures. Ooh, I've been waiting my whole life to do something like this. You're invited. Slow down! On a holiday. I got a feeling about that woman, she's trouble. Fit for a queen. I'm going base jumping tomorrow, Bob. Latifah. Next time, we will laugh more, we'll love more, we just won't be so afraid. Last holiday. Wait, I gotta use the bathroom. Hey, all right, guys, we'll see you next week. Y'all take care. Oh, man, I'm gonna have to call him back. Man, I'm gonna have to call him back. He can wait five minutes. Oh man, dude, seriously? Yeah, seriously again? My bad. Wait a minute, man, I could have sworn I parked right here. Hey! Oh, I've been trying Dude, to don't call do you that, all man. night. Sue took the car, I need a ride home. Why do you just say that, man? Bro, I'm sorry, man, I just needed a ride. Man, you know, I guess I just freaked myself out for no reason.
think that we have enough for the side of the tree. Will you tell Daddy to get the box out of the attic, please? Sure. Thanks. Dad? So what if each and every one of us was given an expiration date? All of us, from the moment we're born, the doctor gives us the smack on the bottom to make sure we're breathing, and then the next move is the delivery nurse puts a big old stamp on us that gives us our date for when we'd expire, like a, a porterhouse steak or a gallon of milk. It's pretty absurd, right? However, we're so used to hearing about life beginning, about this birth announcement, these people are welcoming their fourth child, or the gender reveal where the balloon flies up in the air and they can't catch it and so they don't know what the gender is, right? We're so used to all those things that when we hear about an expiration date or life ending, it feels too foreign for us to comprehend. But the truth of it is, some of us have experienced this. I know that I have. Some of us, some of you out there, you might be walking through that situation right now. And how do we deal with the weight, the heaviness of these kinds of emotions, of knowing there's only so much longer? Or worse yet, what if you get that call that tells you a loved one has passed. I feel like this time of year can even, it makes things feel so much heavier. When something that intense happens around the holidays or close to a wedding or some sort of milestone in our lives, it becomes that much more intense for us. And then we're left with questions. How do we navigate these kinds of emotions? Maybe it comes up, what kind of a God would do this to us? Would we have done anything different? Would we have spent a different amount or a different kind of time with that person had we known it was going to be the last time that we'd get to see them? And then what in the world does all of this have to do with the Christmas story? I want us to begin to ask ourselves a couple of things. I want you to keep this question at the forefront of your mind as we connect this morning. What are you living for? Or better yet, who are you living for? Who are we living for? So we've been in this series Christmas at the movies, and we've gotten to take uh, a biblical approach to the different 
titles that we've walked through over the past couple weeks. And this morning, we're going to dive into a movie called Last Holiday. And if you want to, I'd love to invite everybody that's here, everybody that's joining us online, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter one. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. But I do want to take some time to thank you. Just thank you for being here. Thank you for making Sci Life a part of your week. And for those joining online, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for continuing to be faithful and tuning in. Now, as I said, I do remember this. I remember this feeling of being told that a loved one had an expiration date. I sat there with my dad and my mom as the doctor came in and told us that he only had six weeks left to live. And it, it's a feeling like I've never experienced. It really is. And I can remember asking a ton of questions in those moments, getting furious with the doctors, all these different things coming up. But I also remember the time that I had with my dad after that diagnosis. I remember that his dreams, his wishes, his wants, and his needs superseded even some of my most basic and fundamental needs. It quickly put into perspective for me who I was living for. Death, or even its promised coming, brings a clarity that's unmatched by anything that I have experienced or anything that I've experienced since. And for Georgia Bird, the main character in our movie this morning, The Last Holiday, I believe it does some of the same. Let's take a look. I'm sorry, Georgia, but the virus has caused a very advanced case of Lampington's lesions. Okay, well, exactly what does that mean, Lampington's lesions? And Dr. Gupta hasn't told you anything about this, right? Well, I tried. Thanks. Without treatment, it's terminal. What? Like I'm gonna die? I'm very, very sorry. But I feel fine. I feel great. I just, I just finished a fat flush and... No dizziness or fainting? No, I got a tiny bump on my head, that's all. It's diabolical. Such a sneaky disease. I'm afraid, in your condition, you've got about three weeks to live. What? I got three weeks to live? Four on the outside. I'm sorry. You're sorry? Well, I'm sorry. I can't accept that. Then I think you should see Catherine Lenz. Okay. Fine. That's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. Catherine Lenz, okay. Is that the uh, brain specialist? No. She's your HMO administrator. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's one of the stages of grief that they don't really warn you about is the, oh yeah, your insurance isn't as good as you thought it was, stage of grief. Or how am I gonna pay for this stage of grief? So Georgia, right there in that doctor's office, has to come face to face with her own mortality. And she's told at best that she has one more month to live. This is where everything begins to change. Her life of being cautious, of being careful, of waiting, it has to go. She has to change the way that she's living. But will she change it and in, in course correct in the right direction? 
The question of who she's living for and the question of who we are living for comes right to the forefront of our lives in these moments. And if we look at the story of Christmas, Jesus knew this diagnosis before he ever got here. Jesus knew that he was coming to earth to die on our behalf. He was literally born to die for us. And I can imagine the amount of pressure that was on him. But what does it look like when the pressure's on us? What does it look like for us when it feels like the trial, the weight of what we're walking through is too heavy for us to bear? I would imagine if you're anything like me, it's that time for that age-old question that presumably always gets us stuck. And that question is, why? Why me? Georgia? Why me? Why me, Lord? She threw her sister under the bus pretty hard right there. There's no getting around that. That was pretty rough. So when we're faced with something, when those trials, when the weight of everything begins to pile up, when we feel like we're being handed something that's unjust, how do we respond? It's an important question because it does help to frame who we are living for. It reveals without us saying a word who we're living for. Because if I believe if we're honest with ourselves, we do. We sit there and we say, you know what? I don't deserve this. Someone came up to me after first service and they, they walked through this very scenario. They said we had delivered a bunch of turkeys and a bunch of uh, produce to families and then our car broke down afterwards and I threw my hands up and I said, God, why'd you do this to me? I just did all your work. You're supposed to cover me in this. When we see things not going our way, how do we respond? Because again, if we're honest with ourselves, we just don't want to be uncomfortable. We don't want to walk through unpleasantness and we definitely don't want to experience pain hurt, or even death. 
We don't feel like this suffering is for us. Suffering is for people who do bad things, not me. We throw up our hands and we say, we don't deserve this. But do we? Do we? Look, we got to turn to the ultimate source, okay? So scripture, surely scripture will rescue us. It'll give us the good bill of health that we don't deserve this, right? Let's go to the Old Testament. There's never anything bad in the Old Testament, right? So Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he's got our backs. He does a lot of, uh, of predicting and promising and prophesying. I feel good about this. Here we go. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Uh-oh. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Not, not looking good. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. All right, not going to lie. That's a little bleaker than what I had anticipated. Let's, let's go to the New Testament. There's a lot less fire and brimstone there. Let's talk to Paul. Surely Paul... And one of his letters wrote about us not deserving this, right? Here we go, Romans 3.10. As it is written, there is no one righteous. Oh, no. Not even one. Oh, I was, I was hoping for at least one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Wow. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. All right. It really does kind of feel like Paul said... I'll see you, Isaiah, and I will raise you more fire and brimstone. It did not get better. And then here's the cherry on top. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. So, just to recap, we need to quit asking for what we deserve. Because we clearly don't want what we deserve. Amen? Gosh, it would be terrible if we got what we deserved. Now, here's the thing. None of us up here on stage, not any of the pastors, not any of the staff, not the worship team, none of us, not a person in this room or anyone joining us online this morning, none of us have lived a life that would keep us from deserving the sting of death or separation from our loving Father. The one who did was Jesus. The one who has a case to plead about what he didn't deserve is Jesus. And here's the irony. He loved us enough that he volunteered to take it on in our place. He volunteered. He was born of a virgin into a lonely manger so that he could live a sinless life for us. His life and death were on our behalf. I want us to not miss this this morning. 
Because I think that there's something incredibly powerful. It's not just that Jesus went to the cross to die for the sins that we committed. It's bigger than that. From the time that he was born into that manger, every second by second, he made a choice not to sin so that when he did die on the cross, it would pay a debt that we could never pay and that we didn't deserve to have paid on our behalf. Man. What about for Georgia? A death diagnosis. That couldn't even be a big enough wake-up call for her because as we'll see play out, she just begins to start living for herself. And so, sorry, Tim McGraw, you're wrong. It's not enough to just live like we're dying. We have to live like someone died for us. And Georgia, she starts focusing on herself with the little bit of time that she has left, she liquidates all of her assets. She plans this gigantic vacation. She goes and blows all of the money that she has left. Fine dining, fancy clothes, all of those things. She lost sight of who she should be living for. But Jesus, from his birth, Jesus was living for us in order that his death would save us. And really, I think the story of Georgia is not too dissimilar from all of ours. Because let's be honest with ourselves, church. Once things are going our way, and outside of the diagnosis, things are technically going her way. She's doing everything she had ever dreamed of. Do we get distracted by toys, by success, by money, by all of these other things? And so then when things are going good, we lose sight of who we are living for. We're blinded. We forget our need for a savior. And it comes down to this whole thing, this age old saying, right? Money can't buy you happiness. Do you guys believe that? Money can't buy you happiness? I don't believe it. I believe money can buy you happiness. I really do. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, those are the things that we begin to chase. When we're living for ourselves, we are chasing happiness because happiness in and of itself is fleeting. Money can buy us happiness, but happiness is not what we should be desiring. We should be seeking out joy because joy is happiness from God. And joy is what comes from recognizing that the gift that was given to us was free to us. And it was given out of his love for us. That free gift. So I would contest money can buy you happiness, but it cannot buy you joy. That is only from Jesus. A free gift given to us by a savior who took on our sin and shame he took it to the cross so that we could have eternal life and be reconciled back to God. So let's go back to Romans 6.23 because it doesn't end there. It's not all bleak. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. It doesn't end there, folks. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And that joy, that joy that God wants us to experience, it's an amazing byproduct from that gift of eternal life that God gives us. It's a gift that we've been given that keeps us from enduring what we deserve. Starting in the womb of a virgin, continuing to a death on a cross and finished when the stone was rolled away to reveal an empty tomb. When we have that joy that only comes from Jesus, then there can be no question anymore as to who we are living for. Because the thing is, is it quits being about us. And it becomes all about what he plans to do in us. And I think an amazing example we find right there at the beginning of the Christmas story. Luke 1, verse 26. Join me there. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Feels like the modern day equivalent of someone being way nicer to you than what you probably deserve. And then you're like, man, why are you being nice to me? What are you about to ask for? Parents, can I get an amen? All right. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. This is huge. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, I want to put this in a proper context for us this morning, because I think with Christmas, it can kind of block what's really happening in the text. The Christmas lights begin to blind us, the gifts that we haven't gotten. We just hear the Christmas story another time and we move on. But for Mary, this was a death sentence. For Mary, this could have gone horribly wrong if verse 37 wasn't true. Because see, for Mary, let's just look at it from a few different aspects. Socially, if she was found to be pregnant and Joseph wasn't the father, then socially, there's no way that her friends would have continued to accept her. She would have been shunned. She would have been ostracized for having relations outside of her marital union. 
And then religiously, what about that? Her church would have also ostracized her. They would have shunned her and pushed her away for the assumed choices that she made against herself and against Joseph. And then physically, she would have been put to death. And more specifically, from Deuteronomy 22.20, a woman found in this state that Mary was, she would have been brought to the doorway of her father's house and stoned to death by people that she grew up with in her town. I'm really shocked that that didn't make it into the song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, did you know you'll be stoned to death by the guys you grew up with? Like, that would be awful. Surprised it didn't make it in, though. Must have been on the cutting room floor. See, Mary's life, it was going really, really well. She was set to marry a wealthy carpenter. But then God's plan disrupted her life. And it was the best thing that could have ever happened to her and the best thing that could have happened to us. See, the gospel in its nature is disruptive. Because if we're truly living out the gospel the way that Mary did, we're saying yes to Jesus, which then in turn means we're saying no to a lot of other things. It's just how it goes. The gospel, once it penetrates our life, we begin to say no to so many other things. And church, I want to encourage us to not go back to this discussion of what we deserve or what we don't deserve. Because we've already talked about it from Jesus's perspective. He was really the only one that I feel like could plead a case. But when we look at Mary's story, imagine the joy that she would have experienced when Jesus was born. For parents out there, looking into Jesus's eyes, holding him on that night, the love and the joy that she would have felt, God giving her this baby. And then 33 years later, holding that same Jesus as a man bloodied and broken and destroyed by a world that despised him. Imagine that. And as we talked about, we feel this justice in throwing up our hands when things don't go our way, when we feel like we haven't gotten a fair shake. But here is a piece of this puzzle. I feel like one of the reasons we do this is because we are so busy looking through our own lens looking at every situation, every circumstance through our own lens with only our part of the picture in focus. I can remember my mom telling me, I'll probably never forget this as long as I live. She said, imagine when you pray and God answers your prayer, how many hearts he has to change to grant your prayer. 
So God asks us to trust him, to not just continue to look through our own lens, but to trust God, because here's what God does. His plan is through his lens and with the whole picture in mind. His plan is through his lens and with the whole picture in mind. You see, Mary was scared. Mary was scared when the angel first brought the news, but she didn't allow that fear to drive her response. It didn't necessitate her response of yes to God. She followed through despite that fear because she trusted that God would keep his promise. So what about us? What about you? For those that have relationship with God, for those that have made that choice that Jesus is your savior, does your yes to God show that you trust him? And does your yes to God show that you are living for him? As for Georgia, it seems as if fear was initially what was holding her back all along. Let's take a look. I had that same reaction when I found out I only had three weeks to live. I mean, I tried to keep it to myself for exactly this reason. It's a party killer, ain't it? <laughs> but I did land on that mountaintop. And I ended up on the cover of a ski magazine. <laughs> Don't feel sorry for me, baby. <laughs> Never in my life did I think I would end up in such a beautiful place, doing so many incredible things. <laughs> so, I'm sorry if I was uh, maybe a little too honest with you but I wasted too much of my life being quiet. I was afraid, I guess. You know how it is. You keep your head down and you hustle and hustle. Then you look up one day and wonder, how did I even get here? Oh, bro. See, some of the things we care about a lot, pretty worthless. So, I hope I haven't spoiled you either. Some of the things we care about a lot are pretty worthless. What a quote. It all comes back to the question, who are we living for? In this Christmas season, who are we living for? Because when we can answer that, when our lives show that, it gives us a very clear vision of what is important and the things that are worthless or not worth our time and attention. And then that question leads back to one of our original questions. If we've accepted this gift of salvation, are we living as if someone died for us? 
Because I also want to be very clear about this. This free gift to us, it's not that it didn't cost anything because it did. It cost beyond measure. It cost the life of an innocent son who selflessly and willingly took on the sin and shame of a world that despised him. But God loved you so much. He loves you so much that he would give up his son so that you and I could be reconciled back to him. I think a part of the Christmas story that God is trying to share with us this morning is that God wants to disrupt our plans so that we can be made a part of his. And not the other way around. Not making God a part of our plans, but us being a part of God's plans. We're in this season of Advent, of waiting for his arrival. And God, he, he doesn't just want to sneak in the side door of our lives. He doesn't want you to just kind of welcome him in, but hang out over here for a while. He wants to go into the middle of our lives. He wants to be in the middle of it all with us. And church, I'll tell you, and I don't mean this rhetorically. I'm not asking this hypothetically. My question to you is, will you let him in? Will this Christmas be different for you? Will you let him in? Will you make him the one that you're living for? Because, see, he used Georgia's diagnosis to dive right into the middle of her life. Because the beautiful thing about God is he will use anything and everything. Even a diagnosis. But I want you to remember, we talked about this earlier. Remember when I said God's plan is greater than ours? Well, let's see how that plays out for Georgia. Come on now, you're going to have to. I'm kind of in the middle of something here. <laughs> well, look, I, Georgia, I had all kind of thoughts running through my mind. I, I should have told you this a long time ago. I don't know what I was, what I thought. Or, it doesn't even matter what I thought. I have feelings for you. Georgia Bird, I want to be with you. Whether it's for five minutes here on this ledge or 50 years. I like this guy. Me too. Oh, come on. Knock it off. Now, why are you going to send him all the way around here when you know I got to die? Who are you talking to, baby? God. <laughs> Hello. Oh, oh God. We're the only ones not up there. We should join them. Uh, urgent facts to Miss Georgia Bird from, from Dr. Aragupta. You were misdiagnosed due to a faulty dog scan. You don't have Lamington's disease. You're going to live. That's what I'm going to die. 
Now look, as we close this morning, I know it's a movie. It's a movie. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, Chad, real life doesn't play out like that. The guy doesn't get the girl. The cancer just doesn't go away. The loved one doesn't come back. The disease is not magically cured by a misdiagnosis and a faulty machine. And I'm here to tell you, I know that all too well. I know the pain of sitting there in a hospital room. I know the pain of sitting at home holding a loved one's hand as they take their last breath. And there's no director, there's no one to come in and yell cut, and the scene is over. But here's what I think that God wants us to walk away with this morning. We aren't the main character of the story. He is. It's his plan that we are a part of, and it's not the other way around. If we are living for who we are called to live for, if we are living like someone died in our place, then we won't be jolted to and fro by the winds and the trials of what this life brings. And we will welcome with open arms a loving father who not only wants to be in the middle of our lives, but he then, when he is in the middle, he wants us, he wants to carry us through our trials. He doesn't want us to walk it alone. He wants to be right there with us. And when we say yes, we're agreeing to say yes to difficult things. And when those difficult things may ruin our lives, we'll recognize that his plan is greater than what we could ever imagine because he sees the whole picture. And because he saw the whole picture and because he's trustworthy and because he is a God that keeps his promises, we can see that in the way that he made for each and every one of us through the manger to be reconciled back to him. Because through the Christmas story, he made a way in a manger for each and every one of us. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. God, just the fact that you love us enough that you would send your son to die for us. And God, I pray specifically right now in this moment for those that don't have relationship with you. I pray for those that have joined us online or have joined us in this room this morning, God, that if this is the first time that they've heard about a savior, or if it's the hundredth time and they still haven't made that decision, God, that they, in this moment, would just hold their hands out and say, God, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've done things wrong, but I know that I need you. 
I know that I need you. And God, I pray for those of us that have already entered into relationship with you, that the focus of Christmas wouldn't be on things, that the focus of Christmas wouldn't get lost, but that in the middle of it all, we would recognize and our lives would proudly declare who we are living for. And that people would see in us the joy that only you can bring. And God, I pray for each and every one of us that this would be the last holiday that we experience not living for you. And God, just thank you. Thank you that you loved us so much that you would give your only son for us so that we could have eternal life in you because it's not what we deserve. But what you've given us is so much greater. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Church, I'd invite you to stand at this time. I just want us to have an opportunity to respond and celebrate what God has done for us in making a way through the manger for our salvation and just celebrating who he is and all he's done.